Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, uh, Brian Karam, and with me today is a good friend and an old friend, Michael, well, not old, we're still young, Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor and we're here to talk a little bit as we start today. And Michael, thanks for being back here, by the way. My uh, pleasure. We're here to talk a little bit about what happened today in the U.S. Capitol and about impeachment and the 25th Amendment and, of course, pardons. So when we come back, we'll talk about, we'll unpack quite a bit, and we'll be right back. Hi, and we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Cameron. With me is former uh, federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin, who's also the host of a new uh, podcast, That Said. You can find him on Twitter at Michael Zeldin. And uh, I guess we're going to start. I'm just going to ask you the question. You saw what happened today in uh, the U.S. Capitol. I mean, uh, I've covered third world countries and, and have covered stuff like this before. But uh, the question remains is anyone prosecutable for what occurred today at the U.S. Capitol? I think the answer to that is yes, and probably yes. So as to yes, it's clear that the people who were in the mob, who destroyed government property, who vandalized uh, the, the Capitol, who assaulted police officers, who carried firearms, into the Capitol who engaged in disorderly conduct. We, when we find out who was the um, shooter of the poor woman who was killed on Capitol Hill, someone may be um, chargeable with that. So the basic blocking and tackling sort of criminal laws that apply to these types of behavior are, are, are surely um, available. The maybe category of um, things more relate to insurrection, rebellion, sedition, domestic terrorism. Those statutes, which in their language would appear to cover the behavior of these um, uh, mobsters and perhaps even those who incited them uh -huh. to do this, um, it, it, on paper, they apply. And, and if you remember, when the Portland protests were going on, the Black Lives Matter protests in uh, Minneapolis and, and, and the like, the, jar, the Barr Rosen Justice Department put out a memo suggesting the appropriateness of the sedition statute uh, to prosecute those Black Lives Matter um, anti-defund um, uh, police um, activists, not anti-defund police, the defund right. police activists 
with um, uh, sedition and 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 sedition you think of maybe as conspiring to overthrow the government or wage war against the government but it also includes when by force you endeavor to prevent or hinder or delay the execution of any law of the United States um, and in this case it would be the the the, the citizens right to vote and have their vote um, uh, counted. And well, you, well, let me interrupt you for a second. You said those who incited them to do it could also be indictable. Does that mean that Donald Trump could be held accountable for what occurred today? So on paper, and remember, there's always a difference between on paper and in real life. Yogi, Yogi Berra once famously said, um, there's no difference between practice and and play until you play you know it's it's sort of like um you, you, it ain't you know, over till it's over right well you know that 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 something can apply on paper but prudence tells you not to apply it in this case what we have you know sort of as a introduction to whether these statutes apply is the president of the United States essentially inciting people to go down to the Capitol to protest what he thinks is the counting of a fraudulent election. Now, the Capitol is one of the honored places protected by the First Amendment uh, where you have a right to e express your um, political <laughs> grievance. Uh, and we all... Um, honor that First Amendment right. So if you looked at it and you really parsed his language and his language was simply go down there and exercise your First Amendment right of free speech and assembly, then surely no prosecutor would reasonably suspect that that conduct would constitute sedition or, 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 or rebellion or insurrection or, or inciting of domestic terrorism. If, however, his language, and we have to see it, you know, sort of like word by word, sentence by sentence, was, you know, essentially incendiary, encouraging them to, to, to break and enter and stop the proceedings from going forward, then it's a, then it's a more, then the statutes become more applicable. Well, it'd be interesting to see at any rate. Uh, I, I doubt that he would be prosecuted for it. He's escaped prosecution for so much in his lifetime that I doubt. But it was noteworthy that after the and Senate, as we talk, is still meeting. And when they came back, the different tone of those who even supported the president, that tone has changed remarkably in the hours where they were uh, uh, taken away from uh, the Senate and from the House. And it was it was stunning to me to listen to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell prior to the insurrection. And let's be honest, that's what it was. Insurrection, that's what uh, McConnell called it. And that's exactly what uh, former President uh, George uh, Bush called it. It said it was an insurrection. Prior to that insurrection, it was already known that the Senate Majority Leader, he had said, I'm not going to support this. I will not sit by and pretend like this is a um, 
and, and pretend like this is just an exercise while other people do the right thing. I'm going to do the right thing. A half hour after he said that, there was a protester in there screaming Donald Trump had won. So I, his words were fight. Rudy Giuliani said combat. I think all of those are incendiary and led to what, what happened. But I don't know. I, I don't know. As you said, there's a difference between on paper and reality. In reality, do you think that anybody's going to face uh, charges for inciting them to riot or it's going to be merely those people that chose to do so? Well, I, I would think that those who chose to do so, as we started the conversation, clearly have legal jeopardy um, right. uh, and, and, and should face prosecution to the full extent of the law. I mean, remember, these people, some of these people came with pepper spray and stuff. Guns. That they, that, guns. No, no, but they, they brought pepper spray that they were... I think shooting at the Capitol, at least it was reported, yeah, yeah. they were shooting at the Capitol Police in order to overrun them and gain entry. That's a very serious crime. Assault on a federal police officer is a, is a, is a very serious crime. So if they're able, and I expect that a lot of that stuff is on videotape um, because yeah, that whole yeah, area yeah, is very, very carefully monitored, that those people are going to be found and they're going to be prosecuted. The question of the Giuliani's, the Trumps, the other in, insiders, you know, were I a prosecutor and, and a, an agent brought me this case and said, what do you think? I'd say, let's see, you know, sh show me the videotape, show me the transcript. I want to see what they say. Did they cross the boundary from encouraging people to exercise their First Amendment rights or did they incite violence. Now, I was one who did not um, agree that the sedition statutes would apply to the Portland and Minneapolis Black Lives and um, defund the police protesters. I thought that to the extent that those people vandalized buildings and did the types of things that we saw here, then the normal statutes that govern that conduct um, uh, would apply to them. I didn't think it was a seditious act. So I'm very careful to say, well, because I may agree with somebody politically, I, I think one thing, and if I don't agree with them politically, I think another thing. That's not the way um, an honest, and, well, that's not the way an honest lawyer should think. Dershowitz used to always say, still always says, um, he has this shoe on the other foot test, meaning if it's your friend who's being prosecuted under that statute, is your view of that statute the same as if it were your enemy being prosecuted? And, and if they're not the same, you got to figure out what, what's up with that. And so, so while I say it's possible, Brian, I don't, I don't think that I uh, like the use of these terror, domestic terrorism statutes. I think they're very overbroad. And I think they set a dangerous precedent when they're used in this context. I, I'd be content with the basic blocking and tackling of assault, destruction of property, murder, mayhem, you know, that, that sort of that. stuff. Yeah. So that brings up to the second um, bit, and that is the Lincoln uh, Project is calling for uh, impeachment again, and AOC, she's called for impeachment again. There are those who are calling for using the 25th Amendment 
is any of that, I mean, I guess they could vote for impeachment and throw him out tonight, but I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think 25th Amendment, I think if we're going to be stuck for two weeks without someone running, you know, without a chief executive officer of this government, do you see them trying to impeach or uh, use the 25th Amendment on Donald Trump in his last two weeks in office? So let's take them separately. The 25th Amendment essentially says that the president is not fit to serve. And I think it requires a vote essentially of the entire cabinet to, to say that. So practically speaking, it's hard That's to imagine this, this cabinet saying so. Um, and when you think of the 25th Amendment, you think of you know, sort of the Kennedy assassination. There, there lies John Kennedy um, in a coma, but not dead. Or there lies Abraham Lincoln in a coma, but not dead, with no provision in law to say, well, who's the president um, during this period of um, incapacity? Remember, Reagan is shot, and um, he's going to have to go under general anesthesia. And the question was who, you know, who was going to take over? And they apply the 25th Amendment to say, you know, during the time of his incapacity while under general anesthesia, the vice president is acting. And then when he recovers and is able to function, then the 25th Amendment is no longer uh, applicable. In this case, you have a president who's behaved in ways that are very disagreeable uh, politically, very disagreeable from a democratic foundations standpoint, but whether it meets the standard of um, incapacity that the 25th Amendment contemplated, hard, hard to tell. But of course, if in fact I'm right that you need either the, the full majority right. of, the, of the, the, the full cabinet or a majority of the Senate, of the of the cabinet, I, I don't I don't see it it happening. It's not going to happen in two weeks. I mean, I, I just don't see it. What right. about impeachment? So I, so that's a that's a that's not that's another great and interesting um, question. In in the Constitution, um, there are essentially two provisions that govern uh, sort of impeachment and the and the consequences of impeachment. One says that. Um, uh, Congress will have the power to impeach and remove a person um, from office and the Senate can convict and that's the removal part and the House can indict, that's the impeachment part. Right. And then there's another provision in the Constitution which says that they can then also vote to disqualify the impeached person from holding future office. So there's a second component to this um, which is, you know, sort of the disqualification um, provision. And so the thought is among many constitutional um, scholars, and it's not unanimous by any um, means, is that impeachment should be a remedy available even after the office holder leaves office in order to allow the Congress to exercise its authority to disqualify that person from future office. And so the hypothetical, hypothetical that's often given is president is impeached. He's about to uh, be convicted 
and removed and then disqualified. Five minutes before the vote to convict, he says, I resign. And so he's, so he's no longer in office. And if the powers of impeachment thereby died, he would preserve for himself the right to run again. He wouldn't have been disqualified. So here's a bad faith um, effort to to come back to office later. That's right. And so that's why that's why some constitutional scholars say Congress retains residually this um, right of disqualification from future uh, service, and therefore uh, it, it's permissible. I don't see that happening either, though. I think we're going to have to ride out the last two weeks of this presidency with a lunatic at the helm. And you just pray that he doesn't do anything crazier than what he did today. I don't see them getting rid of this guy. Do you? Well, I think that um, there's probably no will in in the Senate to convict anybody. And um, there's no time really in the House to put articles of impeachment together um, and get it over to the Senate. I mean, I suppose they they could. We saw how fast they could act when they won a Supreme Court justice um, <laughs> put, put on. You know, all of a sudden, instantaneously. A, that's right. All of a sudden, they realized that they had fifth gear. You know. Yeah. Right. But um, you know, so again, it's theoretically. Um, um, possible, but I don't think it's probable. And then if you're the incoming Biden administration with what now seems to be a majority in the Senate and in the House, why would you waste a second of your legislative time doing this? Now, some say you have to do right. it for the, for the principle of the matter. Otherwise, it sets an example that presidents can get away with it, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and I hear that. But if I'm President Biden and I have, you know, two years, because who knows what happens in 2022, I'm going to try to use every day that I have a majority in both houses to pass the legislation that I think the country needs and not further divide it with um, impeachment. Or, Or in McConnell's case, just providing a roadblock to legislation that everybody else once, but <laughs> all right. Before we get to break, on that on that, on that point, it um, it will be very interesting to see if, in fact, the Democrats have won both seats in Georgia, and it, it appears so. Uh, yes. Um, and Schumer becomes the the, the leader, the majority leader, um, speaker, whatever. No, majority leader. Senate majority um, leader. Yep. Um, whether he behaves in a McConnell-like dictatorial way or whether he goes back to sort of regular order and legislation working its way through the committees and divesting the speaker's office of, you know, the, the powers that it has, it has acquired well, over, the, over, over the years. It would be good for the institution, be great for the institution, but... I, uh, I would think that he go. would have to go back because the, the Democrats have a razor thin majority, one vote. I mean, it's essentially 50-50 with the vote being, you know, the tie vote being, you know, the vice president. So 
there are going to be sometimes when there are going to be conservative or moderate Democrats who might well indeed vote with the Republicans. This is a government is essentially going to have to learn to work together for the first time in many years. Yeah, yeah. And and so, I mean, I like Schumer and, and I'm hopeful that that he recognizes the importance of bipartisanship and that he is embracing of that need, especially at this time in the you know post-Trump era, and and does routinely reach across the aisle to find consensus. Now, of course, if the um, Republican minority is going to strictly be obstructionist, then then you then you say, well, you know, we tried and we're going to move forward without you. But I think my instinct, were I the uh, um, uh, were I in Schumer's uh, shoes, would be to to try to start off not naively, um, with eyes wide open, but hopefully, but but hopeful that we could that Biden has um, you know a lot of friends in the Senate. He's been there uh, a, a long time. I saw I saw in the um, Senate race in Georgia that um, the the kid, uh, what's his name? Off. Yeah. Uh, Who won? Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Tell me his name. Uh, now you're asking me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Whatever his name is. Oh, OFF. That's all I remember. Um, I'm too tired. Also, the um, <laughs> he uh, he will be, I think, at age 33, the youngest yeah. senator since Biden. Yeah, that's exactly uh, right. Uh, um, you now you got me you're looking it up. Uh, John Ossoff. Ossoff. I knew it was uh, off. Um, also, OSS. I, I even had that wrong. OFF, yeah. But, 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 um, yeah, I think he'll be the youngest senator in the Senate since Biden was elected to the Senate. And that was like, what, 60 years ago? <laughs> 150. <Yeah. laughs> when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about our, our, our next favorite issue uh, pardons coming from Donald Trump and perhaps of Donald Trump when we come back. So sit tight. Well, time to pay the bills, folks. And this one, I, I don't mind doing. If <laughs> Actually, I've actually used this. If this 2020 holiday season feels like it's been a long time, come and make it worth the wait with Omaha Steaks. Omaha Steaks makes the perfect gift for family and friends or to treat yourself. All shipped directly to your door. They offer everything you need to bring families together for a delicious holiday feast. Okay, or maybe not. Maybe just a delicious festival. Uh, their deluxe grillers assortment package includes a variety of entrees, sides, and desserts. Right now, you can get this mouth-watering package. I, I've never actually seen a mouth water. Oh, well, anyway, plus four free burgers and a free digital meat thermometer. And we all need a good meat thermometer. And exclusive price only available to uh, our listeners. So go to omahasteaks.com and enter the code QUESTION into the search bar. Get a jump on gift shopping with Omaha Steaks. You know, Omaha Steaks isn't just a steak. It, it's actually a, a lot of them. It's a fantastic gift and a safe way to share the joy of the season with Omaha Steaks, guaranteed quality and safety with every order. <laughs> order the Deluxe Grillers assortment package today, and you'll receive four free Omaha Steak Burgers and a free digital meat thermometer. 
That's just a great straight line I won't use. When you go to omahasteaks.com and type question in the search bar, that's omahasteaks.com and type question. And if you need to spell it, it's Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N in the search bar. And you'll shop for the best gourmet gifts of the season. I, I like a good raw steak, so uh, enjoy it. It is a lot of fun. Hi, and we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. With us today is Michael Zeldin. who's also a former federal prosecutor, CNN uh, 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 naysayer, no, <laughs> on occasion. And he's also the host of a podcast, That Said, and you can find him on um, Twitter, at Michael Zeldin, Z-E-L-D-I-N. Michael, I guess the other big issue coming out of, and it was the one we were going to talk about initially uh, before, you know, the insurrection today and in, in the Capitol was about pardons. And I want to start off first with the pardons that uh, we can talk about the pardons that Donald Trump has already issued, but let's talk about pardons for Donald Trump himself and his family. There was talk that he would quit a day before and have uh, 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 Mike Pence be the president and pardon him for any wrongdoing. There are those who said he could pardon himself. Now, after today and what happened, I doubt that uh, Michael Pence would pardon him for anything, but can Donald Trump, can Donald Trump pardon himself? I don't know, nor does anybody else, because it's never happened before, so the Supreme Court hasn't ruled on it. The, the notion of a self-pardon, I think, would have the um, founders of our Constitution roll over in their graves, to think that somebody would have the audacity to self-pardon themselves probably yeah. was not beyond their, was, was beyond their contemplation. Yeah, but time out, we're talking about Donald Trump. So audacity is his middle name. He, he, he dares to do whatever he wants. So I could definitely see him doing that. I don't know if he will, but do you think that would end up at the Supreme Court level? Yeah, so one, it's it's not known whether anyone has the whether the president has the power to do that. We do know that a majority of constitutional lawyers who've looked at this says he does not. They say he does not. We know that the Office of Legal Counsel, that body in um, the Justice Department that offers legal opinions, remember they're the ones who said Mueller couldn't indict. A sitting president. Mueller couldn't subpoena a sitting president. That office, that office of legal counsel, which is, you know, sort of like the brain trust within the DOJ to give legal advice to the attorney general on, you know, difficult policy matters. They offered an opinion. I think it came around the Nixon period that the, um, president does not have the legal authority to self-pardon. So we have constitutional uh, powers that are unclear. We have constitutional lawyers who say probably not. We have the Office of Legal Counsel that says absolutely not. But then we have President Trump, and President Trump may push the boundaries by self-pardoning. So what happens if he does that? What if he says, and he doesn't need... Um, um, Pence necessarily do it. He just says, I pardon myself. I hereby pardon myself of all crimes that I may have committed 
during the time that I was in office um, as president of the United States. Okay, so that's his pardon. He writes on a piece of paper. I pardon myself from this period, from this date to this date, um, signed Donald Trump, president of the United States. He leaves office. A prosecutor in the Southern District of New York, because remember, pardons only apply federally. Yeah, well, that's let's talk about federal. Before we, I've often said that, you know, whether or not he's pardoned for any federal crimes, the state of New York is a little more discriminating. So he could still face state charges. Right. So let's let's talk about each of those things. So he, he has pardoned himself and a federal prosecutor says, I want to indict you for a crime that you that we believe you've committed, that we allege that you've committed during the period that you purport to have pardoned yourself. So here it is, Mr. Former President, an indictment that says, during this period of self-pardon, you committed this crime and we wanna bring you to trial. He says, in defense of that indictment, you know, au contraire, here is my self-pardon, I don't think he would ever say that, but I like you saying it. Oh, contraire. He would probably say bullshit, but that's another story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, more, he's more fluent in uh, New York than am I. He's, he's more fluent in gutter than most of us. I heard him use the word bullshit to, and, his, and his supporters just went wild as he, as he called you know, the election bullshit. But anyway, back so, to au contraire. <laughs> right, so, so I, I prosecutors say, you, Mr. Former President, are under indictment for a crime that you committed during the period that you self-pardoned yourself for. He says, my defense is, you can't, I've pardoned myself. The prosecutor says, I don't believe that pardon has any legal validity. Let's go to court and see. And so ah. they, would go to, they would go to the court, um, the, the initial court where the indictment is returned, a trial judge, and he'd say, we want to indict this guy. He says, I want this case dismissed because I am pardoned and therefore not prosecutable. And the judge rules and whatever way he rules <clears throat> doesn't matter. The other side appeals and whatever way the court of appeals rules, it doesn't matter. They appeal and ask the Supreme Court to resolve the question. And then the Supreme Court resolves the question and we know whether or not the president can self-pardon. And if the court says he can self-pardon and then he's, then he's free of prosecution for the crimes, federal crimes that he may have committed during this period of pardon. If they say he can be indicted, that the pardon, the self-pardon is no good, then he gets uh, to go to trial and, and defend himself on the merits. That's the federal side. On the state side, so he's, he's pardoned himself federally but no federal prosecutor has decided they want to bring charges. They've looked at all of, the, all of his conduct and they say it's abusive. It's an abuse of power. It's an abuse of office. It's, it's an affront to decency, whatever they want to say, but it's not a criminal offense. So we're not going to bring charges against you. The state of New York, however, says he's evaded New York state taxes. He's engaged in bank fraud. He's engaged in other financial crimes. We're going to indict him under the laws of the state of New York. And he says, that's not all I did. <laughs> His pardon is irrelevant to right. the, New York, the New York charges. Now, there may be some technical defenses under New York law that it's double jeopardy or something 
like that, which can be argued. But I think that the law has the the statute has been uh, amended, and that it isn't double jeopardy, and that he can then face charges for whatever crime the state of New York believes he committed in violation of New York state law. And he has, and nobody, and nobody um, uh, in the federal system can pardon him. I guess the governor, the governor can pardon him. Um, but I'd be surprised if Andrew Cuomo pardons <laughs> Donald Trump. It's, I'm, 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 I I've never thought I'd ever hear that sentence come out of anybody. Andrew Cuomo pardoning Donald Trump. Not going to happen, buddy. <laughs> I, I know, Brian, I know I'm going out on a limb and, and, and I know how you don't I know how you don't like that. I know how you like to go right down the middle. Right? Yeah, that's right. I don't want the straight. Woo, that would that would be as surreal as what I saw today. And and I don't use the word surreal very much. Um, so but the other question in, in that regard uh, to pardons and and let's uh, let's just simple yes or no if you can. Do you think that after Donald Trump leaves office, he will be indicted at any level, state or federal? Do you think that's in his future? I, I think that there are legitimate questions about his financial dealings in New York, most particularly whether he misrepresented the value of property to acquire money from banks, you know, inflating its value, and then turning around and deflating its value when it comes to paying taxes. From what I've seen in the public domain, and we see very little, um, that seems to me um, a case of um, legitimate um, concern. And the use of a forensic, um, they're using a, a forensic accounting or accountant to try and go after some of this. That would play into that. Is that what you're saying? That's why they- Yes, just so, so they've hired, I think, FTI, right. a, a really good um, forensic accounting um, shop, sure. mm -hmm. and, and to take a look at the financial transactions and give them an opinion about whether or not they think it is uh, a violation of criminal laws or just- um, creative or management <laughs> well or you know sort of the the tax laws you know allow for um different things i sell my car on december the 31st and so i'm going to get money for it on december the 31st you're going to pay me for for my car i say to you hey brian do me a favor um pay me in two installments pay me december 31st pay me january 2nd and I think that's probably a legitimate uh, transaction. Uh, or you say to me, I'm going to buy your car, but can I pay you on December 31st, right. one half? And then when I get my next paycheck, I'll pay you the second half on January 31st. Yes. So you've now straddled two different tax years. So your income is divided between those two years. Right. And, and, and I think that's uh, appropriate. That's not illegal. And so if what Trump is doing in... Uh, exaggerating the value to get a loan and, and deflating the value uh, when it comes to taxes, if it's within the, re, within, within the norms of what businesses do, then it may not be criminal. If it's fraud that he's engaged in, that he's really engaged in tax fraud um, well, then, and bank fraud, um, that's with, a word he loves to apply to other people, but my God, whenever I 
see what he does in the White House, it surely applies to himself. But anyway, so that's to answer your question, you asked me to give you a simple yeah. yes or no question. And my, my simple answer, yes or no question is, from what I've seen in the public domain, that case seems to have the most legs. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about, before we uh, go to our second break, talk a little bit about some of the pardons that he's already issued. There are some complaints that these pardons have be gone beyond the pale, that he's, uh, he's, pardoned he's pardoned people in the military that shouldn't be pardoned. He's had other pardons that uh, shouldn't have occurred. Um, your thoughts, it, has he abused the, or can he? Is it, is it simply a matter of choice and he can, uh, 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 you know, issue a pardon for whoever he wants, and if we don't like it, tough. Or are there uh, guidelines by which he should or must follow? Both. Ah. He he has he has the power to pardon federally anyone. the 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 constitutional right of a president to pardon is as wide a power, unchecked a power as exists in in the Constitution. And so, if he decides to pardon the most notorious, you know, person there is out there, the um, Silence of the Lambs guy or, or, <laughs> or Jeffrey, whatever his name is, Dom, Donner. <laughs> Donald Trump pardon, pardons Hannibal Lecter, details right. of then. That's, right, yeah. or, or, you know, or, or uh, Charles Manson. He, you know, he has that power. Now you ask, it, 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 would the exercise of that power fall within the norms of the exercise of the power of the pardon? No, because the way the pardon process is supposed to work is that in the Justice Department, there is a person who's called you know, the, the pardon attorney, and there's a big office there, and tens of thousands of people apply for pardons every year. Most of those people have been convicted, have served time, have repented, and are asking essentially for forgiveness. That's what the pardon is. You know, think of it almost analogously uh, to a religion, yeah, where Alpa. yeah, where where you know uh, the 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 confession or asked for, you know, sort of pardon and pardon is, 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 is granted because they've confessed their sins and they're going to, they have paid um, their penance um, for it. Trump has almost exclusively bypassed the pardon office and he's pardoned people who really don't meet the criteria of the pardon, meaning they, they, they've served their time and, and, are repentant. Some have. Uh, the, some of the African-American women who he's pardoned for excessive drug sentences, those are, those are terrific pardons. And he should, right. and he deserves credit uh, for recognizing that. They, that's a sort of carrying on a tradition that Obama started in the end of his presidency of pardoning nonviolent drug offenders who, under the laws of their uh, uh, convictions were given terribly long sentences. Remember, there used to be in the sentencing um, oh, yeah. code the difference between powder cocaine and crack cocaine. You got right. convicted for crack cocaine, you spent a very, very long time in jail. You got convicted for the same amount of racial. 
That, I mean, really, that was racial. White people normally, I mean, most of the con convictions and most of the prosecutions for powder cocaine were for white people and crack cocaine were, were, were uh, African-Americans. And there was sentencing and, and this, there was disparate sentencing depending on which form of cocaine you use. So there was a lot of effort to, to fix that. So that, that's all so good for the president, you know, carrying on that, that tra tradition. But bad, bad for the president when he's pardoning people who have not repented, some who have not even been convicted, and some who have been convicted of horrible crimes, um, crimes of murder against civilians and- um, As a soldier and others who, politicians who've engaged in self-dealing and fraud, who were, you know, sort of bounced out of the Senate, had to resign from the Senate because of the, the corrupt nature of their behavior. And well, that's because, birds of feather. <laughs> well, well, politically, I mean, I don't know that, yeah. I'm not saying that Trump is corrupt, I'm just saying that I these, am, these, these people, um, Duncan Hunter, his wife, the, the, these guys, um, they didn't repent for anything. Um, they 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 remain unrepentant. But what they do remain are uh, political allies of the president. So he's exercising like Michael Flynn. Like Michael Flynn. He's exercising yes. the power. Roger Stone. He's ex he's exercising the power of the pardon in a way that it wasn't in my mind intended to be used. The way in which Justice Department policy intends it to use. But he's doing it. Um, constitutionally, because it is his right to do that. Yeah, uh, we had Michael Cohen on this show, and, Michael, and Cohen said, I'll, I'm one of the guys who will never pardon. So I, well, That's uh, right. It'll be interesting. He's pardoning all things Mueller, right? He, yeah. he wants to wipe Mueller's, oh. Mueller's legitimacy off the face of the earth. Who hasn't been pardoned in the Mueller case that we could think of? Gates, who testified, you know, essentially that, that there was corruption, yeah, and yeah. Cohen, who testified that there was corruption. So everybody else, Manafort, who was convicted of, you know, <laughs> terrible financial crimes and, and um, didn't, didn't cooperate, gets a pardon. Gates, who engaged in crimes and cooperated and, you know, therefore is repentant and therefore maybe fits the criteria of the sentencing of the pardon office guidelines. I'd be surprised if he gets it. Maybe, you know, the president Cohen will never get one. The I, president I, is a surprising uh, sort of guy, but um, <laughs> but I, I think the odds don't favor Michael Cohen or, um, or get, getting getting pardoned. So who do you expect? Uh, we'll, we'll take another short break here in a minute. But who else do you expect he'll pardon before he leaves? Think of pardon his kids. Well, he may. Uh, but remember, in, a, in, in, in the case of a pardon, because a person who is offered a, a pardon, pardon is what it would be. Yeah. Well, yes, that would be a preemptive pardon. But but when you're pardoned, so the president of the United States calls a person up and says, I want to pardon you. And you say, no, thank you. I don't want to be pardoned because pardon implies guilt and I didn't do this, and I intend to continue to fight for my innocence. If you pardon me, those matter, you know, my legal recourse to do that evaporates. Essentially, I can try to do it in the, in the press um, right. or 
you know, my biographer posthumously can prove that I didn't, <laughs> I didn't do it. Um, but so if he decides to pardon his children, you know, sort of he has to articulate the time period in which the pardon applies and perhaps also the crimes that he's pardoning them for. And I don't know that they want to admit the possibility that they committed those, those crimes, unless they believe, of course, the prosecutors are hot on their heels and they're going to get prosecuted and they'll take the pardon because, <laughs> because that makes sense. But the, the ones who I'm, so that'll be interesting to, to see, but the ones who I have, you know, sort of a particularly in, keen interest in are the Julian Assange's and um, yeah. Edward Snowden's and what's the woman's you name? Think they have a shot? Well, what, what, what is the, the, there's a, another woman who's in, in, in prison. She has a very unusual name when we come back. Oh, after. Uh, celebrity challenge or whatever. I know who you're talking about, right? Uh, yeah. 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 Um, those three, those three are the ones who um, I have my eye, I, I'm most interested in seeing. I, I think that most of them are whistleblowers. I think maybe all three of them are whistleblowers or, or Assange is not a whistleblower so much as he is a journalist. So I sort of think of Assange as having the rights of a journalist. I think of um, Snowden as a whistleblower. And I think of- Celebrity Winter. Celebrity Winter as a whistleblower. Yeah. And, and to me, it, it would be very interesting to see how Trump deals with this. You know, from the outset of his administration that he's been at war with or at loggerheads with the intelligence community. We know the intelligence community disagrees. Michael, not, not to interrupt you, but he's been at loggerheads with everyone. The right. <laughs> The, the, the intelligence community, pretty much anybody who says no to him. But, but. That, that not be, that's, that, that he has been at war with a lot of people, but particularly so with the, in, with the intelligence community, because he yep. sees them as, you know, co-conspirators with, with, with Mueller. Yep. And the intelligence community completely disagrees with me. They think that, you know, Snowden and Assange, um, are criminals who put at risk traitors, uh, traitors who put at risk um, U.S. assets and and, and intelligence gathering uh, sources and, and methods, and they think that these guys should be prosecuted. And um, so, you know, we have an honest disagreement about who these people are. But it'll be very interesting to see if, you know, a parting shot that Trump takes against the intelligence community is to pardon pardon these three or, 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 or some number of them. Remember in the Assange case, um, the US is seeking extradition of and Assange from, from the UK and the, and, the extra, and the extradition was just denied because they say he's a suicide risk and that he's afraid that, if, they're afraid that if he was brought to the United States, the United States would put him in circumstances where he surely would commit suicide. Um, but at that, at that extradition, um, proceeding, I um, I believe that many um, sort of whistleblower types, including Daniel Ellsberg, testified on his behalf. Um, and so, you know, as a journalist, you should have a keen interest in 
what is Assange? And as a progressive, I think one should have a, a keen interest in um, the Snowden whistleblower types and, and, and what sort of country do we want to be when someone leaks information that says that our government is illegally spying on us and that which happens is that the person who brought that to our attention is prosecuted. I think that, that, I think that something is upside down about that. There you go. Well, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. All Steaks makes the perfect gift for family and friends or to treat yourself all shipped directly to your door. They offer everything you need to bring families together for a delicious holiday feast. Okay. When you go to omahasteaks.com and type question in the search bar, that's omahasteaks.com and type question. And if you need to spell it, it's Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N in the search bar. And you'll shop for the best gourmet gifts of the season. I, I like a good raw steak, so uh, enjoy it. It is a lot of fun. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast, for all the updates your little heart could desire. That's JATQ Podcast. Again, that's at JATQ Podcast. All right. Hi, it's Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Caramel, once again. With us is Michael Zeldin, the host of the podcast, That Said, and you can see him on Twitter, at Twitter, at Michael Zeldin. Uh, Michael, I guess, uh, you know, one of the things I like to have fun with, with you, uh, being as we have a, a similar interest in music, um, I want to go back to uh, one of the things we've given up with pandemic me playing in a band I, I haven't been able to go out and play music for a while but we also haven't been able to listen to music live for a while um and I, so that brings me i've asked you a similar question in the past but this question is out of all the bands pat you gotta you gotta start from anybody who was active from 1985 onward so you can't say you know they started after 85 so this is not going to be a Bob Dylan question. <laughs> Who would you like to see live that you haven't been able to see uh, that have been active since 85? Do you have a band there that you'd like to see? Jeez, that's a good question. I, I have a little, I have a difficult time. When did Springsteen start? Is he well, a seven? in the seventies, but I'll go 70s. with, I, I could do Springsteen. Yeah. That would... I, mean, if, I mean, I'm trying to think of when he sort of became Bruce Springsteen as opposed to, that skinny kid playing, you know, in on the Jersey Shore. When when, when did Florida he? Florida Run, nineteen seventy two, I believe. Oh, so then then that 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 doesn't count. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, it's a funny thing you ask that question because, um, I I've been listening to a lot of um, music um, lately, um, and it being the 250th anniversary of the birth of um, Beethoven. Oh. I, found, I found myself- Now he hasn't been active since 85. <laughs> you know, 1685. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the, the, I've been listening to, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of him. And, you know, I, I can't tell you how 
wonderful it is to be able to sit down and listen to the 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 the, the Beethoven uh, symphonies. But to answer your question, who I've never um, well, you know, you say that though, and immediately I go to Clockwork Orange and Malcolm McDowell going, ah, the old Ludwig von. <laughs> he was a big Beethoven fan in that movie. But yeah. So yeah, who who are you going? Who are you I would going? have to go with, you know, like the Talking Heads, or uh, you know, I, I would like to see them, uh, have, or the New York Dolls, or you know, anybody from that era that was, or, or even the Ramones, although they kind of started a little earlier than that, but. Um, some of those era, I, I would like to see, and you know, I of course some of them have passed, but um, I think there's, uh, you know, David Johansson is still around, I believe, and uh, I, I miss some of that music too. I, you know, the punk music that came out of the late '70s and early '80s to me were, you know, they they once called uh, uh, Tom Petty, you know, they they said he was new wave or punk, and it was just rock and roll and. To me, it was always just rock and roll kind of amped up, stripped down uh, from what rock and roll had, you know, like with ELO and some of the others had evolved to. Yeah. So uh, when does when does when does Petty break on um, the scene? He, when he came, he was active in the seventies, but his big breakout album was like around ni nineteen seventy nine or eighty, and it was um, yeah, that was a refugee and. Um, uh, here comes my girl and some of that that album that he came out with was his big breakaway. And uh, when does when does um when does Dire Straits ooh, come? That's a good one too. They're, they they were uh, I believe they were the uh well they were early 80s too. So maybe I'll amend it to early 80s. Uh, dire Straits would be fun. I you know I, uh, But you know who I really miss and it was I don't know if you remember but there was a group and, and a song, and I've just been playing it to death lately, was um, Sly and the Family Stone and Everyday People. Yeah. And that's, you know, uh, I'm Everyday People. They and, played that at Woodstock. Yes. Yeah. I saw, I saw that, as we've talked about. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the words to that are really great, you know, for today. Um, and I, I kind of always liked them and and I kind of miss them from from the music scene when does when does um when does REM appear on Ooh, the that's good I think REM is is mid-80s right because I liked I liked that like losing my religion I liked yeah them and, and I'm trying to think um I liked though they didn't have much um length to them I liked 10,000 maniacs yeah um, uh, Third Eye Blind, I could listen to. REM, I think was, yeah, it was early 80s, 80, but they didn't come, didn't become real popular till the mid 80s, I believe. When, when does when does Prince arrive on this? And Purple Rain is like 82, 83, 84, something in that range? Yeah, but you know, I remember seeing Prince in, in a, uh, <laughs> he was the open act. I want to say it was for Molly Hatchet or for, uh, um, it may have been the Allman Brothers. And I saw him come out on the stage in a diaper. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that was in, I think that was 79. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> that's when he kind of, I think he kind of got popular uh, early 80s too. Yeah, you know, the thing that's tricky about the question, the reason I sort of hesitated and defaulted to to Beethoven is that my I sort of think of that um, period of people as having 
sort of labored in the in the bars. So they were a band, but then they finally became, you know, a, a famous band. And so I try I try to think about it in terms of um, when did they acquire um, fame? I remember I remember for example. I was thinking I, of, the reason why I asked this because I was thinking of the MTV era specifically. Ah, uh, yeah. So, because I mean, the reason I say that I, I remember in in college. Um, for me, my my first year in 1969, I'm listening to James Taylor's first album, which is James Taylor on Apple Records with Paul McCartney playing bass on oh, yeah. one song. I mean, he was the first artist that um, the Beatles signed, and in fact, he has the song "Something in the Way She Moves," and George Harrison has something, and they and they they have overlapping lines with James Taylor talks a little bit about, and he says it was you know quite flattering that that. Um, Harrison, you know, used some of his, line. Yeah. <laughs> some, of his, some of his lines, but he doesn't really become James Taylor until a few years later when Fire and Rain right. is, 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 is released. So I think of him as, you know, from the early, the, the late sixties. And most people think of him as, you know, 72 or something, whenever Fire and right. Rain comes out. So that's, that's my, uh, well, I, would, I would put in the mid eighties, you know, like Joan Jett, uh, uh, Pat Benatar, um, and, and her husband's been on the show, uh, uh, Neil, and he's a great guitar player, uh, Spider. Um, but you know, Pat Benatar, uh, Joan Jett, hell, even the Go Go's, you know, and, and what was the other, the all girls band that was uh, Walk Like an Egyptian? Uh, the Bangles. Yeah, the Bangles. All of those were in kind of the mid '80s when they, you know, some of them were one hit wonders, some of them were not. Um, and then uh, who's one who's saying goodbye to you? They they kind of turned that into a, a Donald Trump anthem. Yeah, yeah, it's uh... Patty Smith, I believe, right, or Smythe, or whatever her name was, Patty Smith. Yeah. Uh, when did, so when does the when did, when did the Pretenders come out? Ooh, Brass and Pocket, uh, seventy nine. I want to think. Seventy nine. Let's see. I just can't. I just can't. Um... You know, I can't think. Seventy-eight formed in seventy-eight, and uh, but they they were they were pretty good. Back on the chain gang, brass and pocket. Yeah, I like um, the, I, I like back. And then you have you know then you also have um, people who go solo. You have um, do you not? Does when does like Peter Gabriel? Um, oh yeah, go out, go out on hammer <laughs> on on his his own. You know. Um, when does Bon Jovi arrive? I just don't, I don't have a good. And, and finally, I'll leave you with one of my all time uh, favorites from that era would be Van Halen. But yeah. they came on in the mid set, but by a lot of people think of them as a mid 80s, uh, you know, hair band that was around, you know, in the MTV heyday, but they were, they were actually around a little bit before that. And of course, Eddie Van Halen's guitar work is, you know, fantastic. So, and, and at one point in time, I had such a crush on his wife when I was a kid. <laughs> you did? Does she, does she know that? No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Valerie Bertinelli, you know, she was the uh, the kid from One Day at a Time. Yeah. And there's my, there's my, uh, you know, I'm showing my age. Well, <laughs> anyway, hey, congratulations on on your podcast. Um, well, thanks. So, uh, you know, it's it's that said with Michael Zeldin, and and I promise, um, what I'd like to do actually um, is we'll pick a time. 
after the the um, Trump presidency. You have you you're writing a book, are you not? Yes, I am. Called Free the Press, and it'll be out next year. And it's about the problems of uh, how the government helped create the problems in the press that we have today, and how we can fix them. And so when is when is that due? Uh, it's due at my publishers in about uh, two and a half months. So that's another reason why I'm losing a little bit more hair. But <laughs> so when 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 will um, publish when, late summer? Late summer. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, if we don't do something. If we don't do something like the decade in review, then oh, be for, sure, for sure we'll do um, it would, it the would, book. Michael, it would take a decade to do the Trump era in review. Yeah. He's only been there for four years. I, I, I could write a book on this week in the Trump White House alone. Yeah, you know? so, you know, I've just started um, this at Michael Zeldin Twitter. I've, ne I've, never, I, I've never really tweeted in my life. I didn't realize that I had a Twitter account that someone set up for me, but I've never tweeted. So I think I have a, a whopping 300 followers or something at the moment. Well, but, everybody go to at Michael Zeldin and follow Michael Zeldin. You'll enjoy right. it. But so today's tweet was I woke up um, and I couldn't help but find the irony. I had this clock radio. I don't know if people know what clock radios are anymore, but the clock radio goes off to a music station and it was good day sunshine that was the, that was the song you know so on my on my i'm lying there in bed good day sunshine is playing i'm looking at the, the news feed ossoff and, and warnock uh, likely winners i'm thinking now that's karma yeah well i woke up to highway to hell so <laughs> which anyway. which which described your day yes. Michael, thanks for joining us. <laughs> the title of the show is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Thanks, and uh, we'll see you next time.